Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Just like that, the final hour is underway on this Wednesday edition. OutKick 360 continues from 6th and Peabody. The OutKick studios here with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. TJ Lang uh, will join us momentarily. He is uh, part of the Detroit Lions radio network. Of course, former offensive lineman, two-time pro bowler, Super Bowl champion with the Green Bay Packers at offensive guard. He will uh, join the show in a couple of minutes. I didn't mean for this to turn into my theme today, but I've been frustrated over the last 24 to 48 hours on the lack of uh, information. This is a very um, busy time of year for football fans and, and media members trying to gather information. We're trying to provide um, uh, below, beneath the surface level analysis of what's going on, not just the NFL, but college football. It is so difficult to get information on SEC teams right now. Oh, I know. I, I'm trying to find out what the quarterback battle looks like in Texas A&M. Billy Lucci and them do a fantastic job, but they're only allowed to watch a certain part of practice. Um, Adam Sparks, who covers the Tennessee Volunteers, is allowed to watch 20 minutes of practice now. And then you, it's not like it's closed to the meet. It's not like the cameras are off and you're allowed to live tweet. They have to leave while you practice. Like there's it's crazy. To, it, for, there's, for it to be such a mega time and filled and jam-packed with info, info it's, it's tough to really cover these teams well. I think Tennessee's actually one of the – crazy enough, they have you know strict rules on watching a lot of practice for media, but they're one of the exceptions to this simply because Josh Heupel allows a lot of players to interview and all of his assistant coaches. So the assistant coaches provide more info yeah. in what's going on in practice, what happened in scrimmages, or, than anyone else. So I feel like there's more news to get to there. I'll give you an example. Missouri. I, I can't figure out if Sam Horn is practicing. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm being honest. I, like, I, I searched four different ways to see if he went to the Major League Baseball team or not. <laughs> I don't even know. It, there was one report that he was on campus. There was a report a while back he was working out on campus. I don't know if he's in the mix to start at quarterback. Hell, I don't know if he's on the team or if he's playing baseball right now. It's A school like that has, I'll say it, terrible coverage. I don't know who's covering Missouri football, but there's not enough people. And there must not be a ton of interest because I can't get anything. There, there's a ton of interest in many teams. Uh, you know, the uh, LSU has four quarterbacks right now. And there's no preseason games to judge this. It, it's tough to find guys. It's not the media's fault. They're not, they're not allowed to watch. Um, at least in the NFL, you can watch the practice and get a gauge for it. Um, uh, former players can certainly do that. And uh, TJ Lang can certainly go back to uh, his alma mater and watch a practice if he so wants. Go into Green Bay. I don't know if you can go to Green Bay right now and watch a practice, being a member of the Lions Broadcast Network. Uh, but yeah, TJ Lang joins us now, former guard. For the Green Bay Packers, and uh, he is uh, covering the Lions on their radio network. TJ, thank you for the time, man. Hope you're well. Absolutely, man. Trying to enjoy the uh, what 
good weather we have, you know, until it's about 10 degrees here in a couple of <laughs> What's ideal temperature for you? Say that again? What's the ideal temp for you? Oh, gosh. I mean, 65, cloudy, no breeze. <laughs> Little overcast. We're talking, yeah. oh, talking football. If we're talking football weather, though, I'm going to go like probably 45. Like that's uh, that's ideal for the old lineman. You don't like to uh, – the heat drains you, man. I don't know. I talked to – I had a lot of buddies play down in Tampa and Miami and Houston and – like I, gosh, damn! I'm I'm lucky I never had to do that. I, I'm glad I played in Green Bay and Detroit because the heat. Every time we would play down there, it was just. It felt like you were playing five games. I mean, it just absolutely drained you. It was awful. So I was lucky to play up north my whole life, which was great. Ten-year vet, two-time Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champion, TJ Lang with us. Am I crazy to think TJ the Lions can have the best offensive line in the NFL if all things are equal and they're healthy at the end of the year? No, I don't think so. I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of talent on that group, man. You talk about, uh, you know, Frank Ragnall probably being the leader there. Um, missed a lot of games last year. You know, Taylor Decker is a guy who I think is, even when I signed here in 2017, uh, he was a young guy still, maybe year two, year three. But I'm like, dude, this this dude is, he's legit, man. And he's come a long way. And he's he's one of the most probably underrated uh, left tackles in the game, in my opinion, um, across the board, you know, the, the interior guys, Jonah Jackson, making a pro bowl, uh, Vitae came over from Philly year one, kind of had some injury issues, but last year made tremendous strides and Panay Sula, I'm going to tell you, man, that dude is a, uh, in my mind, a generational talent. He's a freak. He's only 21 years old. I mean, he's not even going to be 22 until I think October or November. Um, and to watch him out there, I mean, he just looks like a grown ass man. You know, he's, uh, He's a special talent. He's going to be uh, he's going to be one of those guys, 12, 15 year veterans that's just going to have an outstanding career. But no, I think uh, that offensive line, it's the great part is I played with a couple of those guys is they're so damn humble, too. You know, I mean, I, I ask them all the time about their goals and aspirations and, hey, do you guys think you're the best? And they you know, they those are just those are kind of old school guys like they don't talk about it. They don't think about you know, the noise that they hear from the outside. It's like, we're just, I'm just going to go to freaking work, man. We're just going to go work our ass off and see what happens. But that's definitely, uh, for the Lions standpoint, that's the strength of their team right now. And as long as those guys can stay healthy, I mean, that's probably what's going to, that's, I think that's the reason for a lot of optimism around this team um, because they've got five badass dudes up front. They're going to be, they should be able to run the ball and they should be able to give uh, Jared Goff enough time to make some plays there in the passing game. For a team like the Lions, do you think having the uh, Hard Knocks crew around on a regular basis adds some juice? Oh, it has to. I mean, it has to. You know, look, I grew up here in Detroit, and I got to finish my career here in Detroit, and I think the attitude around here is always that, you know, you you, you definitely feel a little bit slighted. You feel a little bit uh, disrespected at times. And look, I mean, at the same time, you know, <laughs> you have to be realistic. I mean, there's not a lot about this football program in the last, you know, 50 years where people should be, you know, respecting your name. But you kind of have that mentality and that attitude that it's us against the world. Right. And uh, the hard knocks coming in. I mean, I watched it last night and, you know, even being a former player, I've only been out for three years, but I'm sitting there in bed trying to fall asleep at 11 o'clock. And all of a sudden I get goosebumps. And now all of a sudden my adrenaline starts going. It's like, shit, I just want to go hit somebody, you know, like it got me fired up. But 
I'll tell you what the the, the best thing I think that's going to come out of it is that uh, people are going to really get an in-depth uh, view of who Dan Campbell is. And I know last year he was kind of the um, he was the butt of a lot of jokes, you know, when he was uh, talking about the kneecaps and, you know, bringing lions to practice like real life lions and. Uh, you know, he's wearing racing helmets for the Grand Prix. Like, he he kind of got off to, you know, the, there were a lot of people mocking him. But I think after they watch him and they watch how he uh, commands a team and how much he respects the players and how much their players respect him, um, man, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be really good for him um, just for, you know, the the view of everybody else outside of Detroit, just to respect what kind of coach he is now. He'll tell you, you know, man to man, he doesn't want that. He doesn't need it. But at the same time, I think it's going to it's going to pay off for him because I think a lot of people are going to really start to appreciate and maybe even kind of fall in love with that style of coaching because I know the, the players absolutely love him. TJ it was the most entertaining hard knocks episode I've seen in years. And I watched last night also and I'm, <laughs> I'm all in now on the Lions and, and the personality and attitude of the coaching staff. And they got a bunch of you know former players, I think they said over 80 years of playing experience amongst the staff. And what jumped out to me was, and this can be a good or a bad thing, depending on how things go, but Aaron Glenn and Deuce Staley talking trash to each other over the course of the practice and all the snippets they got of that expert-level trash talk between the two. What do you think about that element of Dan Campbell's staff of a lot of guys who played a lot of years in the league? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it definitely adds a lot of value. Look, I mean, these are guys who, these aren't guys who played one, two years, had a sniff here, a sniff there, a practice squad here, a practice squad. These are guys that played a long time in the NFL. They got, they get it. They know what it's like to go through training camp. They know what the up and downs are like during the season, the adversity that you're going to have to face. They know how tough it is to earn a job in the NFL and to be successful, right? You talk about dudes, Mark Brunell played forever. You talk about the guys you mentioned, Deuce Daly, Aaron Glenn, Hank Fraley, the offensive line coach, played 11 years as a center in the NFL. These guys get it, right? And I think when you have, when you're a player and you have a connection like that to your coaching staff, um, there's just a comfort factor, man, because let's be honest. I mean, there's times we've all had coaches that never played the game. And you're out there, you know, day 14 of pads and, you know, you just sometimes you just you start to shut down a little bit. And it's 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 easier to have a coach that's been through those shoes, that's that's walked those footsteps, that knows what it feels like, that has been in that situation before that you can actually, you know, compare to. And I think it's valuable, man. I really do. And I think, look, I love the juice that these guys bring. I mean, you know, being just I go down to a couple practices every week and watch these guys. And as former players, I think that's the one thing you miss the most is you don't really feel like you get to compete anymore. But, you know, watching these guys um, out on the practice field and watching Deuce and AG go at it. I mean, it's like they're competing again. Right. It kind of gives them a purpose again. And it makes it that much more meaningful for those guys because they really are making a huge difference. And from the players perspective, man, I know they got to love it because you have guys that like I said, played a long damn time in the NFL. They understand how freaking hard it is to not only play in the NFL, but how hard it is to win in the NFL. I mean, what group of guys would you rather have, you know, kind of leading your leading your uh, team and, and kind of paving the path for you guys? I think it's awesome. TJ Lang, our guest, won a Super Bowl with the Packers, blocking for Aaron Rodgers. Was 
You mentioned Dan Campbell. We're getting a glimpse at him. Over the last couple of years, we've learned more about the personality of Aaron Rodgers. And publicly, we, we didn't see this. I'm assuming behind the scenes, this is no different than what he's always been like, or at least I would assume uh, based on the personality of him. It, it, or are there things that you're seeing? You're like, man, this, this even surprises me for the, the Rodgers I know. He shows up looking like Nick Cage from Con Air, for instance, and pulls it off well. Looks just like him. <laughs> I got to tell you, uh, man, we, we, we weren't into the ayahuasca much back then. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever kind of psychedelics that are going on there. But uh, Aaron's always been a uh, he's always been one of uh, my best friends. I mean, he's a great guy. Like just as far as teammates speak, like you couldn't as an offensive lineman, you couldn't ask for a better quarterback you know, to be leading your team and a better dude that just you, you wanted to block for him. You did not want to see him get hit. You know what I mean? Because you know just you know how much this damn game means to him. And look, I know he's a little bit of a different character. I mean, we've seen that just throughout the last couple of years with you know, obviously what happened last year with the immunization and the COVID and he took his stance and uh you gotta respect that. And this year, you know, with uh I mean there's been some headlines the last couple of weeks, like I mentioned the podcast he did about the you know, the, the, the ayahuasca stuff and, you know, learning how to love himself and love his team. Like, that's just, that's who he is, man. And he's, he's a great dude and I, and I love him. And, um, I was so appreciative of the fact that I got to play and block for him for eight years because he elevated my game to a level that I never even thought was possible, you know, and he, he's done that for a lot of teammates too. So I love the guy. He is, he is who he is. I mean, he's not a fraud. He's not a fake. Um, He's not going to be, you know, a guy that just stands up there and tells you what you want to hear. I mean, he's going to take a stance and uh, he, he's going to he's going to draw a hard line there. So, um, look, I think he's uh, he's one of the best teammates I've ever had. And I think a lot of guys on that have played, uh, you know, in Green Bay with him will say the same damn thing. He was just uh, he was an unbelievable talent to be around, first of all, but um, even better person to be around. And that type of leader and that type of attitude you know, it's contagious. It rubs off to the rest of the locker room. And I think that's why for so long we were very successful in Green Bay, although we only won one Super Bowl, which was tragic. Um, that's why we were so damn good, because he was a leader and guys, you know, kind of followed his path and followed his lead. And he did a he, he's still doing a tremendous job of, uh, you know, just <laughs> getting <laughs> putting guys in a position to win. And he's just uh, he was a special guy. David Bakhtiari only appeared in, in one game last year. Uh, they sound optimistic that he'll be ready at the start of the year or early in the year. How much of an X factor can he be for that line once he's back out there for, for the Packers? I mean, he's the best in the game. He really is, in my opinion. Um, you know, just the pass block and the run block and the tenacity that he has, the uh, even the leadership abilities that he's grown into – I mean, he's a difference maker. He really is. He's that type of guy when you put out there a left tackle, you do not have to worry about, right? You don't even have to think about, hey, do we have to keep a running back? Do we have to keep a tight end in over on that left side? Do we need to give a thump on, uh, you know, over the left tackle? You don't have to worry about that. It opens up your playbook so much more because it, it frees everybody else up to, you know, hey, maybe now we can slide the double team over to the right tackle, the right right side of the line. Dave's just a guy you don't have to worry about. So, um, look, I think, you know, from all the reports I'm hearing and, you know, I talk to Dave uh, every couple weeks or so. I mean, he's feeling good. Obviously, he's 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 a veteran player now. Gosh, I think he's going into year shoot, maybe 
nine, I want to say. So he's getting up there in age. And uh, he's one of those players, though, you don't need to rush. You know what I mean? You don't need preseason snaps from him. You don't need uh, full training camp practices from him. You can plug him out there week one, and you know exactly what you're going to get from Bakhtiari. So um, that's going to help them out tremendously. And, and look, that, that offensive line has – they've got a ton of youth. You know, Josh Myers, the center, missed some games last year. They brought in Royce Newman at the guard position that started a little bit. John Runyon was due from Michigan, started a little bit. There, there's a lot of moving pieces on that offensive line. And when David Bakhtiari comes back, not only him, but Elton Jenkins, who's also coming off a pretty severe uh, knee injury last year too. I mean, those are two all-pro, Pro Bowl-type players that you plug them into their spot and you know exactly what they're going to do. They're going to get the job done every single snap. If those two guys are missing – there's a lot more moving pieces. So not only for Dave, but I put Jenkins in that category as, uh, along with him to say, look, when those guys get back, that's going to be a strength of their team. But David is the leader on that offensive line for sure. And I know he's really Aaron Rodgers' right-hand man when it comes to, uh, you know, not only commanding the offense and commanding the huddle, but also, you know, taking care of the locker room, taking care of guys, uh, making sure guys are doing the right thing in, uh, in meeting rooms and off the field and all that stuff. So David is, uh, I mean, he's he's a very vital big gigantic piece to that offense tj final thing for you tj lang our, our guest um stafford you, you certainly know what it's like to win the trophy stafford getting traded from detroit to la and winning it last year what was the reaction like from lions fans the fan base the city seeing their guy go win and finally taste some success at a at, at the at the highest level uh, man, I tell you what, there was a ton of respect and appreciation. I mean, he was a guy that uh, gave 12 years of his, his career here to Detroit. Um, just an absolute warrior on the football field. Uh, you know, I mentioned Aaron Rodgers being a dude that, as an offensive lineman, he's a dream to block for. Matthew Stafford is 1B in that category in my mind. Just the, the toughness that he played with and, and the physicality. Just, he was just, I mean, gosh damn, he just – he embodied the city of Detroit. You know, when you talk about toughness and you talk about being under underdog and I know they, you know, never got it done in Detroit as far as winning or, you know, even winning a playoff game. But from a fan perspective last year was, uh, it was pretty amazing. I mean, there were, there were stores here in Detroit selling shirts that said Detroit Rams on them like that. And they, people bought them up. People ate them. I didn't like it. Cause I'm like, dude, come on. I mean, you're fans of Lions now. Let's knock it out of control. But it was that Matthew Stafford effect that people just had uh, people had a ton of appreciation for what he did for this city. Not only, you know, and, and not just the football field, because I know a lot of people would say, you know, he didn't really do much here on the football field, but what he did for the, what he did for the city, what he did for the community, how active he was and how much he bought into what this city really means and what we're about. Um, it was great to see. And as a former teammate of his, I mean, look, I kind of had to ride a fine line because I'm a Lions fan. I wanted to, if the Rams would have lost against Tampa, like the Lions first round pick that they got from the Rams would have been like 26 or 27. I'm like, shoot, man, we're falling back in that first round, you know, but they end up winning the Super Bowl. Look, at that point, you don't really care. I was happy for him. I really was. And I know uh, a vast majority of the city uh, was very happy to see him finally get some, uh, you know, some respect on his name for the type of talent he is. And he's just, like I said, man, all the things I said about Aaron Rodgers, you can say the same thing about Matthew Stafford, great leaders, great personalities, great friends, great teammates, all that good stuff. He was a, he was a pleasure to block for. And I was happy to see him get done last year. And I know the majority of Detroit was as well. 
TJ Lang has been our guest. He loves air fryers and soft rock. And uh, you can catch him on the call uh, with the Detroit Lions radio network in a game that I'm sure will be chronicled by NFL films for a year to come. Uh, the Falcons visit the Lions on Friday night. To we'll open get to the chronicle it on Hard Knocks. I'll, yeah, I'll, be, I'll be watching. Hey, I'll, I'll see here all about is, it. Here is to a very fast-paced preseason for you for those radio broadcasts. And uh, I don't know where you go on the road, but hopefully no weather delays and get to the regular season. And we're off and rolling, man. Gosh, I'm just hoping the fourth quarters go by fast because you guys know that's the toughest <laughs> yeah. part of those preseason games. It seems like there's 20 penalties every fourth quarter in those games. But, no, I'm excited, man. I'm excited to see what this team can do. Good luck. Thank you Thank for you. the time. We appreciate Thanks, you. Thanks, TJ. All right. Take care, guys. There's TJ Lang. Uh, seems like a fun dude to hang yeah. out with yeah. right there. Um, Classic O-lineman. Yeah, and soft rock. I feel like, Paul, you and uh, TJ would vibe on uh, on some of the – some of the song I'm not, decisions. I'm not that big into soft rock, old you know, rock. Why? There, this has happened to me a few times recently. Um, Ubers or just being in, in cars with people that I look over and I'm looking at what they're listening to. Yacht rock. Or, yeah, yacht rock is a big in the summer. That station on XM is a hit for a lot of people. Not me, but a lot of people yeah, are listening to I, it. I, I like it. I, I listened to a podcast recently about it. <laughs> there he is. No, Case no in surprise, Exposed it was, again. Uh, it's funny, the origins of the term Yacht Rock. Like, there was like a 2001 or 2002, in the very beginning of YouTube, there was like these comedians that were, they were Yacht Rock guys, and okay. they joked about getting a boat and the music they were going to listen to on the boat, and then that became its own subgenre of music. I like that. I like, like the Do- origin Doobie story. Brothers, you know, uh, Michael McDonald with Doobie Who Brothers. Who used to call into your old show. <laughs> right, yeah, one, one time. What a big day for the show. But um, it's not, it doesn't, it's not a nautical theme for the songs. It's more of the it's smooth sound of a yacht. Yeah. When you hear it, you just know. Yeah. It's yeah. Yacht Rock. It's it, pretty, pretty Some remarkable. Some of it's all right. <laughs> Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. Coming up, we take a look at the Missouri Tigers and the area where if they take a step forward, they need a drastic improvement. And it's not just the quarterback position. Uh, we look at the Missouri Tigers for the 2022 upcoming season, uh, plus notes from the Vol scrimmage yesterday on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Here's some Yacht Rock yeah. for you on Outkick 360. Christopher Cross bringing us back. Oh, yes. Let's get our Yacht Rock. that smooth sound right there. Just gets me in the mood to sit next to a pool. <laughs> My tire or pina colada for you? Neither. Oh. Yeah, um, me either. Which? Something hard. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what. 
something hard. Bourbon and, and branch. Something hard and straight. Oh, uh, there's just something about drinking. like uh, there's certain types of music. You're right about the beach or a pool, and then a taste. Like I, um, I had the uh, the Shirley Temple version of the Pina Colada going to the beach as a kid, and I just always associate associate that with the beach. I don't think I've ever had a hangover at the beach. Wow. Oh, you're like my buddy now. Yeah, you just have headaches. No, yeah, like, sweaty, I don't, there's something about, like, I really need to get out of areas where allergies Headache. are bad. Like, my breathing is better. The and then salt you can water, just down a fifth. I can and just you're drink fine. whatever I want. No hangover, no repercussions whatsoever <laughs> to the human body. You ought to think about moving. All now. of it. The desert, when I'm out in the desert, no problem. The only, the only repercussions are the days in on Panama City Beach. Yes. The, the one time that I got hepatitis everything. from the drain in the middle of my yeah. hotel room was the, the drain. Man, those were the days. Than, they, come, they don't change the sheets. They just uh, hose down the room whenever you leave. Yeah. I had the shakes when I left the hotel, the beach that one time. But <laughs> other than that, it's perfect. Well, you can stay for the week for 45 bucks doing that. We used to cram like eight dudes into one hotel room on a spring break trip. I mean, it was ridiculous. Oh, I thought it was going to, I thought you were saying to, to go to the Backstreet Boys concert. <laughs> well, we'll do that oh, too. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it would be like, you know, three to a bed in a hotel room just so we could all pay 30 bucks to go on a, on a trip. <laughs> that was our like cart, cart boy money that we made at the golf course. Yeah, we got it covered now. The Missouri Tigers uh, need to cover better. Uh, both the spread <laughs> and the receivers are going to be facing in the SEC. But they may have been traveling three to a bed this last yeah, season yeah, on defense. No doubt. Uh, so Steve Wilkes is out. And they made some coaching changes last year for a defense that was historically awful at times. Uh, the Tennessee game, they just didn't give up 62 points. They gave up big play after big play after massive play. It was a historical day for both the Vols in a good way and then Missouri in a really bad way. At one point, out of 130 teams at the FBS level, Missouri ranked 130 <laughs> in yards allowed on the ground at 284 yards. They were awful. And and if you think about how many yards they're giving up per carry, they were allowing over six yards per carry last year. They, it, the question is this. Only 10 teams allowed more touchdowns last year than the Missouri Tigers. They allowed 57 touchdowns. And they gave up 35 points on average per game. Can they reduce that number to 27 points per game and win a game on the road like they lost last year in Lexington? Can they pick up a win or two by their defense improving by one allowed touchdown per game? If they can do that, Eli Drinkwitz is going to meet, if not exceed, expectations for 2022. But the guy who's known for offense and all the, all the talk about the, the best wide receiver in the history of Missouri coming in uh, with, with uh, Luther Burden and who's going to be playing quarterback, it's their defense that is either going to save his job or put him either on the hot seat or out the door after the season is up. How can anybody be it's, excited about this team? It's hard to it's hard to figure out what Eli Drinkwitz is right now at Missouri. Yeah. He's 11 and 12. That's not hard for me to figure out what he is. But the question it's is It's also Missouri. It's Missouri. He's yeah. also was he was 3 and 5 in the SEC a year ago, which shocks me. Yeah. That that team won 3 games in the SEC. Now they they, they went in overtime. Yeah, they went in overtime Vandy. against Florida. You know, when Florida was on the way down, it got it got Dan Mullen fired that game. Um, 
Offensively, I, I, I think he knows what he wants to do. I think that he's got a good offensive mind for personnel. He talked about a year ago, he kind of got trapped in this kind of prison of his own making where they were so, they did not want to make mistakes and they knew they could do one thing okay and they just stuck with that thing and it kind of put them in a box offensively. It's why, by the way, they've, they've named their, their starting quarterback. Uh, it's going to be Brady Cook as the starter as of two days ago. But Brady Cook was like 81% passing because everything was behind the line of scrimmage. You know, everything was short to Tyler Beatty, who was a huge part of their offense, who's no longer there. So what is the expectation of Missouri? They're, they're, they are squarely second to last in the East. If you look at any type of ranking coming into the season, they're right ahead of Vandy, that they're going to beat Vandy. What else do they need to accomplish to prove that he's got them headed in the right direction? I, I don't know what it is that would get him fired based on where they're projected this year and the fact they just had a really good recruiting class come in. And they have two guys, two studs on defense from so that recruiting class. he is going to sell that. Yeah, and they're going to be young. But I think they can be better on defense, even though they're losing uh, their star player on defense, uh, Aldridge. Blaze Aldridge is gone. They're going to have a youth movement at linebacker. They're losing, I believe, three of their four starters from the secondary from last year. But again, I, I set up all that by saying... This was a really bad defense. The, there's only one way to Hard go. Could be worse, yeah. But I, you know, despite playing some young guys, uh, you know, will they be? Will they look more f- uh, functional? Will they seem as though they're going to get uh, a three and out or stop a team from crossing midfield on a possession? They should be better in that area. If they're not, then they're going to be making more changes than that defensive coordinator. They can be better, right, and still not be better because Tennessee's on the upswing. Right. Kentucky's on the upswing. South Carolina's on the upswing. But they beat South Carolina last year. Uh, right. So, but I mean. Yeah. But now they got Spencer you Rattler, again. quarterback for South Carolina, which can be a big difference for everyone. Yeah. Because uh, they were bad at quarterback. So everybody's gaining. How much are they gaining? Well, I mean, just. You know, uh, just to get better. Just to fair. get to we, average yeah. run defense would be but, a huge improvement. So we're, we, we kind of know, like. Kentucky winning, uh, having a 10-win season is not just meeting expect; it's exceeding expectation. Where is Missouri? Because Missouri's been to the SEC championship game. Yeah, first two years Texas they were in A&M the, in the has conference. not been to the SEC championship right. game. So where do we put Missouri in the hierarchy of, okay, where's the expectation level? Because you can come in at Vandy and win nine games, and they'll build a statue for you if you'll stay. What what does what does he have to do at Missouri to reach that not plateau because he's not going to speak in those terms, but to where you feel like the program is consistent enough and you win enough to keep everyone happy and you don't feel like your job's always on the line. But since they were in that SEC championship game, lost to Bama in 2014, 42 and 43, and that's and what that, they are, right? That that to me that's is it. the expectation. They caught lightning in a bottle with Gary Pinkle and a good team coming from the Big Twelve that came in and took advantage on a bad SEC East and won the first two years. To me, you ask, what's the expectation? Around 500 in the SEC. I think a 7-5 and five team, 8-4 and four if you get a favorable non-conference schedule, that, you know, goes 4-4 four and four in the SEC right now. That, that's a good... A game better. That's a good Missouri team. So, now, that doesn't mean that if he does that three or four straight years, he won't be on the hot seat. 
Because what happens then is they're going to expect more. Eventually, Kentucky fans expected more from Mark Stoops, and he started giving them more. Yeah, but he, they also gave him – I mean, he's the second longest tenured coach in, in the conference. And that's, the SEC fan bases eat their own. And, and that, the, how, how long does Drinkwitz have to become Stoops? Longer than anywhere else in the conference. So four years? Missouri, so one more year? Kentucky, Vandy, everyone else eats their own in the SEC. Those schools won't. Because I think deep down their administrations know where they stand in football. And that's why I think 4-4 four and four is going to be good enough for Missouri. If, if it can consistently be a bowl team that is competitive, that wins half their conference games, that's a good ceiling for Missouri. I understand they've won the SECs before. If they did it again, great. That coach gets a lifetime contract. And this year, Just like Mark Stoops probably already has one, but if he wins the East at all, at any point in time, he's got a lifetime contract at Kentucky. And this year... Similar programs. Where they won towards the back end of the season. I thought Drinkwitz did a nice job of keeping the team together after having some really crushing losses, including Tennessee. Um, they, they beat Florida. They beat South Carolina. Now they go on the road to South Carolina. They go on the road to Florida this year. So after what you accomplished towards the second half last year, now you flip it and you have to go do that on the road, which is a step forward. They'll get Kentucky at home. Uh, and I believe they get to Kentucky much later in the year than they did last year, which is uh, a flip that we don't traditionally see with an SEC schedule. They, that was the first SEC game of the year, I believe. Yeah, last it was year. a night game in week two. Um, they open up against uh, Louisiana Tech on September 1st. They will visit Kansas State. The Little Apple. Um, so their first SEC game is at the end of September at Auburn, home against Georgia, on the road against Florida, Home against Vandy. So two two huge games, I think, early on for Missouri to kind of set the pace for their season. At Kansas State is going to be very tough. And then at Auburn. I mean, they could go to Auburn and win, given all the noise around that program. Yeah. So if 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 let's say they get both of those, I mean, you're you're four and oh starting the season and a win at Auburn to open things up, then you're really high on Eli Drinkwitz in the future of Missouri football after that start. They could also very likely, they're going to be underdogs at Kansas State and at Auburn, you know, open two and two, and then they go through a very difficult stretch outside of that home game against Vanderbilt. You know, Florida only posted 23 points on them last year, and that was an overtime game. That was the least points they allowed, though. Every other game, 24 or more. And the 24 was Army in the in the bowl, bowl game. Um yeah, I fewest points they I, I'm curious what the final month of last year does for this young group because again they're turning over their defense and they, sh I mean they've got some talent on offense. They have a transfer, a senior transfer from Stanford at running back. Um, they better hope they don't get to their backup quarterback, um, who looks like I did coming out of high school. Um, look like I'm, I'm covering a college game more than I am, you know. Playing, well, and playing. they've got uh, they've got the. Uh, uh, Jack Abraham, I think it is, yeah. who started at Southern Miss, went to Mississippi State, didn't get an opportunity. Now he's at Missouri. They've got depth at quarterback because it was a four-way race coming into the fall camp. I don't know how good the depth is. Outside of Sam Horn, who, again, I, I joked earlier, I still can't find a report on whether or not he's actually practicing with the team, but he's a big-time prospect. He's a guy that most of the SEC wanted, and Missouri got him. So... I, I, the question I just keep asking is, what is success this year for Eli Drinkwitz and what would get him in trouble 
in that job. I don't think it's really anything. Well, I mean, I mean, other than just you know losing to Vandy and he's, winning one or two games all you know, year, he's not. Uh, he wasn't a tr- attempting to go to tie this in by any means, but you mentioned he needs to get one more game in the SEC, and that would put him at 500 in the SEC. Well, he opened up that conversation with Jim Rome saying he wanted one more win back based on what happened last year and a game where they were boat raced. Yeah. And that's that's interesting because he wants that one more game, and I wonder what the one extra game does for his job security. Well, it's not just job security. If he gets Missouri, and I'm talking about a consistent 500 in the SEC team, he's going to get other job offers. Just like Mark Stoops had, has had other offers for getting Kentucky to that level and now beyond. Yeah. So I'm not saying that Eli Drinkwitz is trying to get out of Missouri. I'm saying that he knows deep down that's good enough at Missouri to keep your job for a long time. It's a tough job. It is. It is the most it, – it, if you want to look at culturally out of place – it is probably the most culturally out of place outside of Vanderbilt in this conference. They are an outsider. And, and at least Vanderbilt's, you know, a founder. They've yeah. been in it the whole time. It, it, they don't, so they might be more culturally out of place. Yeah, look, Missouri cashed a lottery ticket when they joined the SEC in 2012 for all time. So they, they have no interest in going anywhere else. But it, looking back now at the way conference realignment has, has moved and changed – and what are some of the schools being considered by the SEC or Big Ten? Missouri does not make a ton of sense in the SEC. Good for them. They're a part of it now. Still doesn't make a ton of Makes a lot of sense for Missouri to make that oh, move. Hell yeah. Yeah. From the SEC's perspective, not sure how much of the St. Louis TV market you're getting and what that's really bringing you at this point. Hit us up with your thoughts on Twitter at Outkick360. Coming up, some notes and takeaways from... My guess is the media in Knoxville, they're chatting with the VFLs who are allowed to watch the scrimmage. That's my guess on how they're getting this info because the media is not allowed to watch the Vols' first scrimmage that took place yesterday. But we do have notes and reports from that. We'll tell you about it next on OutKick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Now kick 360 rolls on. So the Tennessee Volunteers held their first scrimmage yesterday. By all accounts, Hendon Hooker looks great. Um, now, uh, the caveat here is these are all through reports or just people that uh, have connections to the team. I'll leave it at that based on who we talk to. Um, but Vols for Life, former players are allowed to stick around and watch as much as they want. And so if you have a connection to that, you can get and glean some decent notes from practice. Otherwise, you're, you're not allowed to watch. The media can't report on this from a play-by-play standpoint. Apparently, um, Hendon Hooker is, he threw a pick in the, uh, in the practice, but looked very good, looks 
in total control of the offense, which By is the a way, great sign. Hutton, some of the some of the things that are coming out of practice, it's only because Tennessee's putting on Instagram. I saw oh, the okay. Hendon Hooker pick because they posted a video of Jeremy Banks picking him off on the sideline yeah. on a quick pass. Uh, Dylan Sampson has looked good because I saw him score a screen pass touchdown from 25 yards out. Well, so we talked they... about coverage. Tennessee's actually releasing some of their own footage from inside Neyland Stadium. Well, let's, but let's... they're just putting out there what they want. It, right. For people to see. Let, let's point to the negative. The secondary is extremely slow. That is going to be a, an, an issue this year. And that was an issue last year. And yeah, but I, 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 mean, the, I, I don't I, think it's improved to the point where anyone's taking no, big notice. No, all, all I've heard is that guys who were a step slow last year lost weight. <laughs> right? That's like uh, yeah. Jalen McCullough, Tank McCullough looks smaller. And, you know, he's more slim. But does, is that going to equal a lot more speed? I, I, I don't think so. Tennessee's defense is th- – that that's it. That's the question mark. They're replacing almost their entire defensive front. They've got some linebackers coming back. They have secondary coming back outside of Elante Taylor and Theo Jackson. But those are their two best guys in the secondary. Yep. The back end, you know, Tank McCullough, there's players coming back. But they were largely ineffective on defense. Their third down defense was bad. It's all about slight improvement defensively. They don't have to be that good with the offense they have returning and the way Josh Heupel runs an offense, but they got to be better than they were a year ago if they're going to take a step. So who, after Tillman, who is ascending to that role? I, I know uh, Keaton has been dropping passes. That, that's been well reported. Callaway and Hyatt are vying for that slot role within this offense. Um, and you would think based on last year, um, you, you've got some youth from last year and the year prior now ascending into what should be some star power at the receiver position. Uh, and they have, to, they have to find an answer at left tackle. It doesn't have to be by week one. It needs to be before they visit Pittsburgh. Sounds like, uh, I know Brent Hub said J.J. Crawford was probably going to be the first guy. Sounds a little bit like Mincy May have gotten a little bit more run at left tackle, the transfer from Florida. The, the re- yes, the, the, the reports from the scrimmage were there were ups and downs at left tackle where no one's really taking over that role. I think they're going to be totally fine at receiver. I'm really not worried about that. Valus Jones, a, a great player in the slot a year ago. Jalen Hyatt is more talented, I think, if he figures it out and they've moved him into the slot. Brew McCoy is going to be a good player as long as he's and eligible. He's, right. And he is he has shined in practice so far. Yep. And the system really creates opportunities. He can be for the X Factor. Well and you know you don't if if Brew McCoy's not eligible, can Walker Merrill step in and be one of these role players yeah, that is more consistent he's gonna play. than, than he's what gonna, we've seen? He's gonna play, but he's not I, I don't see him as a guy who's gonna, you know, be a huge playmaker. He's gonna be a steady, yeah, consistent guy. But here's what's great about Heupel's offense. They took Javante Payton as a fifth-year grad transfer and made him this deep ball threat. He wasn't much of anything in Mississippi State. And he came to Tennessee, and he could play that role. They've got enough guys that can play those, those roles. Caleb Webb is another freshman that they really like. Came in. Squirrel White is going to play, who's a tiny slot receiver uh, that, you know, think of Darren Sproles-type talent and player and making guys miss. So... I'm not worried about receiver. I'm really not worried about anything on offense other than left tackle. I even think running back, you can get by on average talent in this offense for the most part. I don't think Jabari Small is that talented. I think he's a good, hard-nosed, steady player. 
but he's not a great running back in the SEC. Uh, they lost a great talent at running back in Tyon Evans when he left the team and transferred to Louisville. I think Lynn J. Dixon coming in from Clemson is going to help with some of that. But all in all, offensively, even what, you know, the fact that Josh Heupel, who's going to be hard on his quarterback naturally, comes out of that scrimmage and says, I'm very impressed with the operational control of Hendon Hooker, that's a big part of his offense. They're snapping the ball quicker this year than they were last year. And if the quarterback and can grasp it, he talks about operations. Yeah. Operationally, he was really good. That's good news for Tennessee if, if, if he's getting that much praise right now for that. The other, the other thing that stood out to, I uh, was reading uh, Adam Sparks um, and just his observations of camp. Um, and he, he covers the Vols for the Knoxville News Sentinel. Um, he was saying, there, uh, you mentioned operation, there's a hierarchy and a flow and a pattern now to practice where you do not have got last year before they named the starter, you didn't know which quarter quarterbacks are figuring out who's taking over what rep and what role. And he's like, there is a clear and beyond just Hendon hooker and Joe Milton, but at every position guys know where they fit in and where the expectations are and their role based on personnel scheme and uh, overall de- their sets de- defensively uh, tends to be the same way based on what you say. He's like that. That's just, automatic and noticeable now and it's probably an aspect that we didn't talk about enough last year because again there's not a lot of people viewing practice to point it out like it's a it, it was an issue but there's a there's a different pace to practice because you have a clear-cut first string guy and everyone is aware who the dude is and i think this is a big theme a year ago um that team was miserable under jeremy pruitt they did not want to show up going to practice. The COVID year had a big part of that also. I think a lot of college athletes were miserable that year. But it got really bad towards the end with Jeremy Pruitt. Bringing back some sort of excitement of playing a sport again was job number one for Heupel. Mission accomplished. Winning is going to be a big part of that. It's not going to be fun if they lose. If they go to Pitt and lose and they lose at home to Florida, things aren't going to be fun in Knoxville early in the season. But what Heupel has done is brought joy back to that program. And that's what I get the sense of in practice with this team. They seem to actually enjoy playing football with each other. We hope you enjoyed the show. Outkick 360 returns tomorrow, 3 o'clock Eastern, across the Outkick Network. Don't block the box, but be sure to lock your locks.